Hello and welcome to the Gary and Kenny Show. I am Gary Kroger coming to you from Waterloo, Iowa. I am joined, as always, by Mr. Kenneth Seisler in Calabasas, California. Ken. Yes. Don't ask me new? how I am because I'm, I don't want to go I, into it. I wasn't going to. I was going to okay. say what's new. All right. What's new? Oh, what's new? I, I wasn't prepared for what's new. <laughs> These are rudimentary questions. What's new? <laughs> Do you know? Um, yeah. You know, I really have to prepare for these shows. All right. All right. So I'm going to just bring out our guest because I've been looking forward to this in a big way. But I first met this gentleman, Mr. Andy Breckman, in the early 80s when he came over from late night with David Letterman to write for Saturday Night Live. We became very good friends until he abandoned me for more famous friends. But we did stay in touch. We uh, went on to he went on to write several screenplays, Sergeant Bilko, Rat Race. Uh, He continued his radio show, Seven Second Delay on WFMU. He went on to create Uncle Andy's Toys, which we will talk about. But he's probably best known as the creator and executive producer of the popular series Monk. Please welcome one of a kind, Mr. Andy Breckman. Hello, Andy. Welcome to the show. Hey, Ken. Nice to meet you. Gary, good to to see you you again. I I know you very well. I want to go back to what you probably, I know you've talked about your relationship with Don McLean ad nauseum. Everybody's been in the paper. It's famous. Talk about with who? Who do I, who do do you think I am? I I haven't had a conversation with another human being in four weeks. Do you have a a pet? Let me me give you you my inside I think you just wanted to use the word ad nauseum. Uh-huh. I did. Now, Don McLean, everybody knows, you know, uh, besides Starry Starry Night, his big hit, of course, was American Pie. Now, Andy, the beginning of your career, you were kind of a comic folk singer, which I, I guess was. There's, there's a market for, right? Well, there's no, there's almost no competition. <laughs> you know, you have that lane to yourself. So, no, I'm actually being half serious as a, as a career, as a, as a, as a strategic move. If you're going to do comedy, uh, because going on the folk circuit where you follow, you don't follow a funny stand-up comic, other you know, a series of brilliant comics. You follow clog dancers and uh, and, and trios singing about mountaintops and things. You know, if you're going to be a comedian, that's that's the circuit you want to be on. Uh, and, well, you warmed uh, up. You warmed up for for Don McLean. I, we had, you guys I had the had... same. I had the same manager as Don McLean, and and went on tour with him as his opening act. Yes. And you guys had a contentious relationship. Now I yeah. heard this yeah. story, I believe, from you, yeah. that you got into a big fight, and in your opening set, you did American Pie. Well, you told it. Well, you told the story a little. A little wrong. Well, tell it you, correctly. you probably told it better. Maybe I'll <laughs> I'll use your version going forward. But I would open for him, and as a joke, I would <laughs> sing American Pie in my set, or as much as I could remember of American <laughs> Pie. And then I'd say, "Gee, I hope Don had not planned on <laughs> singing that one." And and he was a difficult guy. He had his issues, you know, and. Uh, and he was for a while. He was very supportive, and he thought it was very funny. But then one night in Canada, he just snapped. He just, I came backstage, and he snapped, <coughs> and he was furious about it. I think it might have been triggered. I had gotten a, a positive review the previous day, and uh, you know, and his review, the same reviewer was not as kind to him. But anyway, he just snapped at me, and then. 
and then he did something I've never seen. He he went on and did his set, and in the middle of his set, he he took a shot at me. He actually insulted me. <laughs> I've never seen a I've never seen an act insult the opening act before. <laughs> he, he, said, go, he said, "I'll be." He said something like, "I look to come back here next year, and this time I won't be bringing an opening act." <laughs> So, he took, so I'm this kid who just, you know, he's one of my heroes and I'm sitting in the audience. <laughs> he's just <laughs> insulting me. And he's just, a, he had his issues. He had his troubles. But it's my, you know, a lot of people don't have a celebrity feud. And so I, I have a very, very small, off the radar, no one cares about. <laughs> I have a celebrity <laughs> feud with Don McClain that only Don McClain and I know about. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little secret celebrity feud. Yeah. I met you coming over from Letterman in like, what was it, 83? I'm on SNL, and you came yeah. over as the new writer. Yeah. Right? How you did were that my, happen? You were my secret weapon. Well, you I know. Put you, I put you in sketches, and you just you were you the knocked only it out of the ballpark. person who put me in sketches. No, not true. Well, not true, but you, put me, you gave me really good roles, Andy. Nope, people uh, didn't generally do that. Well, you, I, well, you deserved it. I, I, uh, you, you knocked everyone out of the park. I, I'd love to see. Um, I don't know if there are clips around. I'd love to see some of those old. Yeah, there are clips. It's called the internet, Andy. They're all over the place. I've heard. I've all, heard about it. Now, your your debut as a director was Four Minutes to Live, which starred me. Do you recall that? Sure, sure. I do remember that. You were great. It was the premise was the doctor. You were at a doctor's office. And Jim Belushi. Said, Jim Belushi, okay. And he said, uh, Gary, I have some bad news. Good news and bad news. Oh, and I said, what's the bad news? And Jim said, well, the bad news is you're dying. What's the good news? I lied, Kevin. There is no good news. <laughs> okay. How much time have I got? Three, maybe four minutes. <laughs> and then this is Breckman directing. Oh, it's, in the, it's in the Empire State. So I'm going to go out and have the best life for four minutes a person could possibly have, and I get stuck in the elevator. Um, it's a very yeah. existentialist Breckman. Yeah, I'm going to make every second count. I know I, I've been dealt a bad hand, but I'm going to. But I'm going to make every second count. I'm going to live every every one of these last minutes to the fullest, and then you run out to the elevator bank and wait for the elevator for four minutes. <laughs> I, I want to go back to a, a, ask a question about. Um, Can you had your hand up? Folk, did I? Folk did comedy? You, no, I didn't. I'm sorry. Okay, that's all right. Um, the how did how does somebody go about just getting a job as a joke writer on Letterman? So I was doing a comedy uh, uh, singer songwriter uh, uh, sets, uh, comedic singer songwriter sets in the vein of Loudon Wainwright or Randy Newman. I'm sure you know those names. Uh, and I got hired. Uh, I got my first gig was a. Uh, was a show on NBC, an afternoon show. This is before the internet. It was a Nickelodeon type of show. Mm. It was called Hot Hero Sandwich. Yeah, right. And it was, you can't remember that show. I do remember Hot Hero Sandwich. Of course I well, do. Well, it was, um, was kind of like a, a Saturday Night Live for young, yeah. for young people. It was sketches and songs. And I was hired as the resident in-house songwriter. I would write a couple songs every, I'd write a, a song every other show. And uh, while I was there, I also, part of my deal was I also was, was on the writing staff. And so I, that was when I started to write sketches for that show. And 
I quickly learned I, I had a talent for that. After that show, I applied for a position at Saturday Night Live, which that was before your time there, Gary. It was the, the transitional year. Dominion year. The, the Dominion year. Uh, after the golden five gold, yeah. you know, the, the, uh, the, the first five years, it was the transitional year. And so I submitted a packet of sketches, three or four sketches, uh, to that, to Saturday Night Live, and they passed. Uh, and, uh, and so I thought that was the end of that. And I went and I got a job at um, one of the first uh, video stores uh, in Manhattan on 8th Street. And I was working at a video store. And unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst to me, my agent submitted those sketches to David Letterman, who was just uh, in pre-production. He was starting. He had just been given the green light for his NBC late night show. And they were putting a staff together. And it was, compl it was completely off my radar although I was a fan, of course, because he had that morning show. And then, so I'm at my video store. This is an interesting story. It may be illustrative of some And point. I probably rented from you because I went to NYU and lived right up the street from my street. It was one of the first video stores. It was a video store that was, it was so early in the videotape phenomenon <laughs> that people would come into the store, uh, browse, rent the tapes, take the tapes home, and then one woman called from home and said, where in the TV does this tape go? She didn't, she didn't, know, she didn't know that you needed a machine to yeah, play the tape. Wow. Um, so that's how early – actually, before my store, the only place you could rent videotapes was at Photomat booths. Oh, yeah. they, had, wow. they, had a few they had a few tapes. But anyway, um, so I'm in my store, and the phone rings – and it was my ex-wife, my, my then wife, called and said, hey, your manager's looking for you. I had a manager from my, for my folk stuff. Your manager's looking for you. David Letterman uh, wants to meet you. And he's, David Letterman is in town for, 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 for one day. He's at the Plaza Hotel. Uh, and he's looking and he's interviewing writers. And, uh, and your agent submitted your packet and your SNL packet and uh, and he wants to meet you now now it's one of those Hollywood stories that you mm -hmm. you know you read about and I said I turned to my co-worker I said I've got to go uptown you know let's cover the cash register and uh, I I got on the subway <laughs> complete I'm glad of course in hindsight I had no notice at all I had six minutes notice so I went on the subway and I went uptown I went to the Plaza Hotel. He's in a suite with his then girlfriend, uh, Meryl Marco. Meryl? Meryl, who became my boss. She was the, the head writer and producer of the show. So they were in a suite together. And I'm just this kid. I, I, I'm just this, I'm completely still off balance. You know, I come up there and I, I don't even have time to think. I go up there and Letterman, I do remember this. I had the wherewithal to do this. Letterman was on a couch. He was lying down like he was exhausted. <laughs> he barely opened his eyes. And, uh, and there was some change on the, there was a coffee table near the couch. There was some change there, like 80, 90 cents worth of change. 
and I sat down and I said, hey, can I have this? And I, and I actually, I had something Kroger you would do. And I actually swept the change into my hand and put it in my pocket. And <laughs> I said, thanks. So, so anyway, so, but here's the story that, that maybe your listeners um, might, find, uh, might find informative. Or, or, I, um, Meryl Marco described the show she wanted to do her late night show with letterman and it was exactly the show that that letterman ended up doing and and it ran for you know 40 years on but anyway you know there'd be there'd be a monologue you know topical joke or two there'd be uh some uh remotes where he would go out and on the street you know uh talk to people on the street there'd be some desk pieces there'd be some more produced sketches you know it was exactly the show that he ended up doing she had it in her head mm. uh, and um and the tone of it would be uh sort of ironic and it would be kind of be they kind of pictured their show like the alternate like the cat like a, a uh it countered the tonight show it was the right. alternate universe tonight show whatever johnny carson did they would do almost a parody of where did the stupid opposite. animal tricks come from well that came later that was mm -hmm. actually chris elliott was when i was there that was in charge of reviewing people's tapes but merrill had dogs and dave david merrill had dogs and they loved dogs and it probably began with them their dogs right. doing tricks mm -hmm. but anyway i'll just i'll very quickly so merrill described this show and she said she said you know what you submitted these snl sketches is not doesn't really apply to our show um although they're funny she said we, we can't really judge them we can't judge you based on these sketches she said why don't you take your time over the next few weeks and write up write up a packet based on what i've just described to you she just described the show to me and um and uh, then you know we'd love to consider you for a writing slot she couldn't hire me based on the snl sketches and so what i did was and this is the best one of the best things i ever did in my life i knew they were leaving the next day because they lived in malibu merrill still does live in malibu and in fact the show at that point was going to be in la it was going to be in, know that. in california yeah, that's where I. they lived and and um that was the plan um but anyway i knew they were leaving the next day and so i was determined i knew that you only get one shot like this per lifetime how many you know you only you only get so many you know opportunities uh doesn't always knock twice so i i had the wherewithal to to know i had i i uh i had the wherewithal to uh to realize i could really impress it if i put together my packet in one night if i just if i just just you know i, I don't do drugs but I, i'm sure i drank my share of cokes coca-cola that night and uh and just did uh, just pulled an all-nighter, and uh, and put a packet together in one night, and then get it to them the next morning before they left for the airport. That would impress them. That would, and I uh, even if they weren't impressed with the actual material, right. they'd be impressed by my enthusiasm, <laughs> stamina. Yeah, my stamina. stamina. <laughs> so that's a lesson there for for maybe your listeners. If if the door is open a crack, don't 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 dilly dally you know don't you know change gears no speed and, is important and no and, and respond respond right. immediately absolutely you can uh, because there's eighteen thousand other writers 
behind you that right. will respond to me. No, that's excellent advice. How back. quickly did they get back to you on your material? Oh, you know what? It that's a great question. It took uh, a, a long. It took a long. It was four or five weeks. It was just it was radio silence, and during those four or five weeks, um, of course, it's all I thought about. Mm -hmm. Of course, it gnaws at you. The you know the waiting is the hardest part. To, to quote Tom Petty, <clears throat> uh, and, but you know so the waiting's hard. But then the hope also gives you the hope is even worse. <laughs> right, right. Damn, damn hope. So, but I did during those four or five weeks. Uh, Mary and I got married mm. during those four or five weeks. And I remember we were on our honeymoon and we met another couple on our honeymoon and they asked what I did. And I, I remember saying, I write for David Letterman, right. <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> thinking that maybe I could will it into, mm. uh, into, you know, Mary was very, Mary, God bless her, very supportive, didn't correct me. Right. Um, but, um, uh, but I remember willing it into, and then, and then once I got that call from Merrill, um, that was shit. That was uh, the call of my life. That was it. Everybody, everybody has a call in their yeah. life. That they, that a they... bigger call. I'm, I'm going to move forward to SNL. Obviously, okay, a bigger call than SNL. But you know, you were the guy that came over from Letterman, and you immediately established yourself, Kenny. There was this thing called the Breckman pitch, mm -hmm. and you've already gotten a piece of it. The Breckman pitch is this hand would start to move and he would tell the entire pitch through his own laughing voice. Yeah. So you just you yeah. never knew what he said, but it yeah. had to have been funny. Well, I was so, guaranteed with that method, I was guaranteed at least one person would laugh. Right. <laughs> right. But would you say, because I yeah. would say that there was a Letterman brand, it was goofy existentialism, but you know, part yeah. of our show is not just how it was done, but what's the creative process? What is the matrix in the in the Breckman brain? And I'll bet you use some of those Letterman sketches and you brought them over to SNL, didn't you? Well, didn't uh, you? Yeah, you're, no, you're exactly right. You were probably in them. The, the sketches <laughs> that were rejected? Yeah. 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 yeah, I'm sure you're absolutely right. Of course, everyone recycles material, but, you know, you're exactly right. Um, you know, it took me a while. It took me longer than most other writers on the Letterman staff to get Letterman's voice in my head. The Letterman, when I was there, was on. We were the writers were on a 13-week uh, cycle. That is, every 13 weeks, you could be either renewed or can fired. Can wow. So it was very scary. Mm -hmm. And my first 13-week cycle, we were in pre-production for most of it. I I I um, was um, what do you call it in baseball when you you don't uh, score? I was shut out. Shut out. Yeah, complete shut out. I couldn't score. I wasn't on the scoreboard. Never. I must have pitched a hundred ideas, and he didn't like any of them. I really was. Were you also writing monologue jokes? No, not at that time. Okay. I, I had no aptitude for it. There was a guy named Jerry Mulligan. Yeah, Mulligan. And Steve O'Donnell later. They had a great aptitude for it, but I it didn't come naturally to me. But um, writing writing ideas, submitting ideas, I was really zero for a hundred. Very discouraged. Very scared. And then uh, Merrill. Merrill called uh, just before the 13-week deadline and said, you're doing fine. Don't, mm, don't sweat it. That's great. Uh, yeah, that was a great call there, too. The first joke I got on Letterman was uh, it was a desk piece. Uh, somebody had defaced a barn. Somebody had written, like, uh, Eddie. 
in giant letters across the barn and the cops were looking for who did it and, and let him and the joke was I'm no detective <laughs> <laughs> but I'd be looking for a guy named Eddie <laughs> well but that's so, enough one of the sketches we did and then I want to move on to post SNL stuff which was a classic Breckman and I was part of it is Larry's Corner yeah. and you are a guy you're in that sketch and when you laugh and drink milk, the milk comes through your nose. Yeah. So it was the, probably, the, the, probably the biggest laugh I've ever the, been part of. Yeah. Right. The three, because nobody saw this coming, Kenny. So you've got these talk show and there's yeah. three buddies. So mm -hmm. I start to make fart sounds under my arm. Under my uh, very arm. highbrow. Yeah. Very highbrow. <laughs> yeah. Andy's drinking milk, starts to laugh, and he had hoses put through oh, a bald cap so you never knew. Yeah, the milk pumped. was going to start pumping through his nose. And then Tim Kazarinsky's character gets so excited that he takes a glass of milk <laughs> and drinks it from Andy's nose. It's too, yeah, it's my bid for immortality right there. <laughs> right. Wow. But that was a Breckman piece. Anyway, it, it, was, it was exciting to have a Breckman piece. So, and I left the show. You stayed with it for a while, obviously. Now, were you also on it with Larry David was writing? Oh, yeah. And he never got a piss from because we've talked about this with other people. Yeah. It's all the other shows that he he wrote for. He he never got pieces on. Um, I think he did get one piece on. Uh, he got a couple of pieces in dress. It was very, you know, the other writers loved him. He wrote very right. That's what I heard. Yeah, very, very disciplined, uh, very subtle. You know, like like very subtle pieces, um, very dry, and. Um, uh, the boss then, Dick Ebersole, didn't uh, didn't understand him. Didn't didn't get him. They weren't on the same wavelength. And yeah. a lot of the pieces that Larry David uh, pitched and wrote at SNL became Seinfeld episodes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he wrote. If you want to hear a little story, Larry David story, he wrote one piece where. <laughs> I can, Gary, I can't remember if you were there for the hero one piece about the flying Walindas, the family, yeah. the trapeze uh -huh. artist. Yeah, I was there. And and the joke was, uh, <clears throat> the joke was uh, that the flying Walindas. I'm sorry. The joke was that a mafia, uh, uh, a, a gangster, approaches the flying Walindas family, and the gangster says, "I got a nephew that wants to be a trapeze artist." I want him to be in your act. And then the gangster forces him to, to take the nephew into the act. And the will end to say, well, we can't just take anyone. We, we practice 30 hours a, a day for years. We can't. It's, 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 no, you're going to take my nephew. And then the joke was that, uh, that, the, that the nephew appears and Larry David wanted me, the writer, Andy Breckman, to play the nephew because I was dumpy looking, a little out of shape. And it was a funny visual image that I would be the nephew. And Dick Ebersole, Dick Ebersole said, no, Andy can't be the nephew. We have a whole cast here. We have Gary Kroger. We have we have a whole assortment of actors that are dying for more airtime. You can't use a, a writer. And, and Larry David, Larry David um, uh, insisted that I was, uh, I was, uh, would play the nephew. And they got into a screaming match. Wow. Over, over, over it. And I just cowered in the corner and embarrassed and humiliated uh, and uh, to be the object of the, of the, uh, of that. Is, and yeah. and I, how I, did it end? Did, did well, it get it, on? It, it, it ended, I think Gary, I think, I think Larry David stormed. 
I think Larry David quit. He, I think he quit numerous times. I think he quit and stormed out of the room. And the, no, the sketch did not, uh, did no. not get on. But I felt very self-conscious, as you can imagine. <laughs> and uh, because the whole sketch was about how out of shape I was, it was just the strangest, <laughs> you know, the strangest <laughs> feeling to me. I was proud to be asked, but also, <laughs> right. <laughs> but also, I was only asked because I, I did. I, I, I always wondered when the, those celebrities get the call from their agent going, yeah. you've been asked to do a Weight Watchers commercial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. yeah. Your character's named you're, Before. You're Before. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So, Andy, we saw each other, it'd be six years ago now, five, six years ago at the yes, 40th anniversary, right? And you've, yes, been, you've had quite a relationship with us in all, all those years. But Andy, at the after party, uh, Sarah Palin comes in. And I'm talking to Andy, and Andy suddenly says, uh, Ms. Palin, this is Gary Kroger. He's running for Congress. He's a Democrat. And then you left. <laughs> right. You left. Well, well no, you just, said, I said, I said, there's Sarah Palin. Do you want to meet Sarah Palin? I said, no. I just said, no, you said, you said yes, but you were just too, you didn't know how to, you were like a shy little seventh grader at a party. You didn't, you didn't know how to, why would you want, not want to meet Sarah Palin? I, I swear that what I said, I swear that what I said was, why would I write, a, I, meet her? I've, I've said horrible things. I've written things about her. She's the oh. antithesis. But anyway, you made the introduction, and she couldn't have been more charming. That's the end of the story. But later after the party and the next day, I see you in the lobby of the hotel because okay. you now are pitching games because you've created Uncle Andy's toys. Uncle Andy, it's singular. Yeah, Uncle oh, Andy's toys. Uncle Andy Wait, toys. I'll tell you one last story, and this is another lesson, kids, if you're listening, <laughs> that you can learn. So that 40th anniversary party, I wasn't, I wasn't cool enough to get uh, to be offered two tickets, I could only get one, I could only get one ticket. So wait, what are you pointing at yourself for? I got two tickets. Oh, well, you're the well, you're the you're you're much cooler. Than, you're at the cool table, but I was only offered one ticket, so I was there without without Beth, without my wife. So I'm at the party, and uh, the party starts at two o'clock. It's after you know, it's after the show, and I'm at the party, and I say hi to Gary. I say hi to a few old friends. And then I'm always awkward at these parties. I don't drink. I don't, I don't, I'm not good at schmoozing. And so about um, 3.30, I get very restless. I'm there without my wife and I leave. I just leave, right? At 3.30. So then the, the afternoon. Next, no, 3.30 in the morning, oh, right? right? I'm only there for a couple hours. Oh, okay. I just have never been a party guy. But anyway, here's the lesson to me. Here's the lesson, kids. Jim Downey calls me the next morning. Right? Jim Downey, the writer, my friend, Jim Downey. He says, where'd you go? I said, oh, I just left 3.30. He said, at 3.40, 10 minutes later, 10 minutes later, the show began. Mm. Paul Simon, mm. Prince. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. <laughs> on stage. On stage, doing a private concert for yeah. 10 minutes after I left. I just, I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten how stupid I was. And so the lesson, boys and girls, is if you ever wrangle an invitation to a cool, cool, cool party, don't be the first guy to leave. Don't make my mistake. And I'm kicking myself, kicking myself ever, ever since. I well, think maybe that's you'll some see of the best advice we've ever heard. Absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Well, now, you really surprised me in the lobby because you've had this, and we'll get into Monk and that, but uh, you, you were, you'd created Uncle Andy Toys. Now, Uncle Andy Toys, just so you know, Ken, they're, they're, who tooted is one of them. Uh, what, what shit it? happens. 
Well, when, now, Gary, when you list these toys, you should pause for the applause. That people. <laughs> right. So Uncle Andy toys are sort of adult games for scatologically oriented. Well, adults. I always wanted, I always, when, when my show ended, my series ended, I was very fortunate. I, I had some, I had a financial cushion, you know, and I could, I could do something else for a while, at least. I got very lucky in my life. And what I always wanted to do was start a and build a company of my own, mm-hmm. you know, like a, I, I feel it's, well, I felt very American, to be honest with you. I mean, it really was. I, I you loved, were an entrepreneur. I, I loved being an, I loved, I've always wanted to try to, to build something and bring it to market and see if it could, to have it compete in the marketplace to build something, you know, an actual physical item. And uh, it's always been sort of a dream of mine. And I started a, game and toy company and i um found that the toy business is like a parallel universe a parallel show business very similar to show business in many ways and uh i learned from from scratch from 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 uh from the ground up i I built a little company and just like my writing career i pitched a lot of bad ideas and had a few things put in production most of them fail which is true in any business and but failure is something that I learned to embrace, you know, and learn from. And um, and then I did, uh, as Gary mentioned, I had a couple of singles. You know, if, if, if you use a baseball metaphor, a couple of games became small hit, minor hits, like a, a single. And then I did have one game that was pretty successful still. Was, uh, I called it a triple, actually. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it's not a home run, but it's, it's called uh, Shit Happens. Shit Happens, right. Yeah. And that's got, that's that's. And uh, where do people stores. find this game? Shit happens. It's actually in like Barnes and Noble and and yeah, and yeah. No, I've seen, and I've seen shit happens. I've yeah, seen it's kind of. Can like, you actually spell out the word shit in Barnes yes, and Noble? Yes, he does. Because sometimes well, they'll put fact, the asterisk. No, there's the well, eyes. there were different. There were different versions. Yeah, there it is on online. No, oh, there are okay. different. Ver- there are different versions. When Walmart, when Walmart carried it, it was with the asterisks. Right. And I think when tar- I'm sorry, when Walmart carried it, it was called Stuff. Oh, happened. Stuff. And, I think um, I saw that too. And uh, Target had Target had it briefly, and it was with asterisks. So, so there are different versions of it. And then we got very lucky; it was it was sold as a to a TBS. Uh, a couple of uh, uh, producers, Ben and Dan Newmark, uh, game show producers. Uh, found the game and and pitched it as a game show so it became a game show now and it's in its third season so it's doing uh, it's doing pretty well there. oh it's a game show right now yeah. on it's a game show right now they changed the name it's called the misery index the misery oh. index yeah. um it, how, what's the pnl on uncle andy toys now you sold it but i mean is, is it still uh what does pnl mean yeah really profit and loss you're uh, I thought, oh, I thought you were is? an entrepreneur i, I heard never know else. it's a new well i guess i'm a bad one i've never heard that that phrase well i mean are um, you solvent well no um, yeah thanks to all you need it turns out is one this is another lesson. This is lesson number three. This might be our final lesson. All you need is one hit to pay for the uh, 90 failed pitches. And uh, shit happens. And that, that game show is paying more than paying for, uh, for all the other failed toys. Just like in my writing career, um, my little TV show, Monk, I'm sort of a one-hit wonder there. You know, my little TV show, Monk, is is uh financially uh covering all the other failed uh, 
Although well, the is that our segue to, to, well, to it, Monk? It has to be. I, we're still going to talk about the radio show, but we have to talk about Monk now. Because well, I'll be glad to talk about Monk, but it actually, I, all, I often say this is another lesson. This is lesson number four. Oh, you is, were going to stop at three. I know, but I, there's one that I thought of. I always tell kids this, and Gary, tell me if this isn't true. Um, all you need is one good phone call a year. <laughs> and to have a career. That's all you need. You're going to get this year, you're going to get 10,000 phone calls. All you need is one of them to be good news. <laughs> and that's a career. That's a solid, good career. And uh, Look so, at Don McLean. Yeah. So, so, you know, kid, you know, it's easy to get discouraged and it's easy to be frustrated and you're auditioning for a hundred things and you, you don't, you don't, you don't get them. And you just got to remember, it's just one good phone call a year. And, uh, and that's your, if that's your goal, then uh, that's, uh, that's Andy, easy to achieve. Do you, do you have my number? Call me. <laughs> yeah. Call me. Be well, my I call. I've never initiated the good call. I'm looking I don't for have that anything. one thing. All right, you so let, let's go into Monk. Oh, now, sure. I, I really enjoyed Monk. And uh, Trailer was a friend of mine. We had the same agent, by the way. Okay. One of your co-stars. Yeah. But how, give us the story of Monk. I mean, this is a rather unusual concept I mean, I know how the character developed OCD and so on and so forth, but how did the idea of a detective with OCD develop with Andy Breckman? Well, as I said, as I said a few moments ago, I spent my childhood reading mysteries as well as, as, well as studying and absorbing comedy. And uh, so I can't take credit for the idea for Monk. It was, I was out to lunch at the Four Seasons in New York with David Hoberman. Hmm. Do you know that name? That's You've probably seen his name. He's a big mm-hmm. producer, mostly at Disney, big producer. And uh, I was pitching him movie ideas. I had never worked in TV except sketch and variety stuff at SNL and Letterman. I had no history at TV. I'd never even written a spec script or been on staff. So anyway, I was pitching him movie ideas, and he didn't like any of my ideas. If you can Now your listeners will understand why probably by now. But he didn't understand any of them. And then uh, we were finishing lunch, and he said, uh, they, but he also was supposed to be developing TV shows for, uh, for Disney, for, for ABC. And he said, almost as an afterthought, he said, you think we could do a show about a cop that has OCD? Uh, I think he had recently seen As Good As It Gets with Jack, oh, sure. yes. uh, Jack uh, Nicholson. Nicholas. Yeah, so who had OCD in that. So that was his, he said, do you think we could do a show about a cop that has OCD? And I, I had the wherewithal to say, oh my God. Yeah. It's because it combined my two great passions. You know, I OCD. love, I love oh, yeah, OCD. <laughs> my two great passions, making money. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and neuroses. And, and neuroses. Uh, you know, comedy and, uh, and mystery writing. Uh, so I said, yes, Ringo Starr, Ringo Starr was once interviewed, and they said, uh, and said, and he was asked, uh, "What is the secret of your success?" And his said, his his response was, "I said yes." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just from that seed of an idea, you walked away well, with I all knew, I know I, is an OCD cop. Yeah. Well, then I I be, you know then it's just a matter of stealing from the right people. The most <laughs> of it was stolen from Arthur Conan Doyle. Most of, you know it was, the dynamic was uh, Sherlock Holmes. 
the form. Sure, I mean, the formula. Of course, of course. Uh, Sherlock Holmes had an assistant, obviously, and had uh, a cop, Lestrade. Even the know, character I mean, name, even just coming up with something that just worked like that. You're that exactly was, right. No, you're exactly right. Sherlock Holmes had an unusual first name and a common a monosyllabic last name. You know, simple last name. And I used Sherlock Holmes, and I used Adrian Monk. You're exactly right. It was just ripped off from. From Sherlock Holmes. And then I, there was a smattering of Columbo. I used, um, Columbo had what they called, their formula was open mysteries. I don't know if you guys remember that yeah. show, but I lifted some of that as my formula. So so I, I knew enough to, to know where to steal from. Lesson number five, steal from the best. Steal, well, yeah, just steal. I'm, we are I'm chock shame- full of lessons. Yeah, I'm shameless about it. Well, the show, you know, has myriad fan sites and things, which we're going to pump the hell out of, you know, when we, when we air the show. and get on. People talk about Monk. They miss Monk. They, they have Monk parties. Uh, you know who misses it now and, uh, <laughs> and is now watching it for the first time? Tony. Me. <laughs> really? I'm not, I'm not kidding. I, I was so stressed out while we were in production and so distracted obviously and uh also i was going through my i was separated and was dating in my 40s while the monk while the show was in in production so um i never really enjoyed the show i never sat back and watched these shows uh and uh wait till you get to season three i can't wait 15 16 17 years later I'm really watching the series. I'm now in season six, actually. I'm watching the series a couple of episodes at a time per week uh, and taking my time with it and really enjoying it, enjoying many of them. Some of them, some of them I, I can't, it's hard for me to watch because I, the mistakes that I made, almost always my, almost always stuff that I wish I'd done differently. But, but I'm now being, being, I've become very sentimental about the show and I actually, I'll confess this to you also. I go online now and I buy um, monk uh, t-shirts <laughs> and, and, and mugs from, uh, there's a site that where people make, fans make, you know, stuff. And uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was just, uh, I, I've been there, but have you ever gone in to chat with them? Because they'll freak out. No, 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 no. God, no, I wouldn't How know what How much fun would that be? Oh, I did go on one, I'm sorry, I made one exception. I heard about a, I heard about a podcast uh, last year. I'm now blanking on its name. Oh my god, I had a funny, like funk monk monkin around or something. <laughs> but it was a podcast where this. It was actually a great idea. And I heard the first episode of this podcast. It was a. It was two guys like you and Ken, and uh, one guy. I mean, there's was others a, out there like us. Yeah, there's <laughs> others very much. Not, not other yeah. people have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I Get hate out. to break it to you, mm. but I. Um, it one one of the guys was is an old fan of Monk and has seen the series multiple times, and the other guy had never seen the series yet before. So they were watching the series together. One guy it was new to it was new to him, and the other guy was familiar. So anyway, I heard I heard their p- pilot episode and was charmed, and I did reach out and I did I did uh, do an episode. I, they interviewed me for one episode. Well, that, I don't know why that, I mentioned that, but, but they were nice guys, very nice guys. Was there any controversies with that show that people online are still like arguing about? Well, yes, actually, we like uh, like some shows. We actually were challenged. Uh, uh, Gary just mentioned season three. Season three, uh, our our co lead, you know, Monk had an assistant, and for for the first two and a half years, it was Biddy Schram. Uh, played the assistant and in the middle of season three uh, 
we had to uh, we had to let her go and replace her with Gary's friend trailer trailer Howard and uh, so in in most shows uh, those those switches are done between seasons mm, right and in many shows ideally you have a few episodes where you can uh, you can uh, sort of uh, the Brady Bunch. No, no, the, the Partridge Family did this. The kid, they had a different drummer. One day, they, the kid went up for bed. He came down for breakfast, and it was a different kid. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, they switched some, the kid. Some shows, some shows, you can actually, uh, you can actually uh, um, brace the audience for the change, like. Right. You know, you like uh, the cats on the roof. You know that joke. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. you can kind of get right. a little hint. <laughs> exactly. But but our show, our show happened mid season, uh, between episodes. Uh, we lost uh, we lost uh, assistant uh, number one, and she was replaced with assistant number two very abruptly. And it was a big challenge, and it was very frightening because you have a hit show only once in your life. You don't <laughs> you don't get they're not you know God gifted us with both hands this hit mm. successful show and so and so you you don't want to screw that up because because uh, you don't get a, a second chance so uh i always you know you're friends with trailer howard i will always be grateful to trailer howard she's the woman that saved our baby that saved as if my child was drowning well how did she, you justify it, it what what was the hook oh you mean in the show in the course yeah. of the show well we said that uh, Sharona, the first assistant, uh, moved back with her husband, moved back east with her husband. Okay. But it was very abrupt. And Biddy Schram, who played that first assistant, uh, did come back later in the series and, and reappear, uh, which I think was The audiences was are amazingly acceptable on all of these things. They really will just go along, right? Well, it was very scary. I mean, it was, thank God, I would have to say, thank God it was pre-internet. Yes. Or, or internet was new then, mm. uh, because I think that would have made it much tougher right yeah. but tony tony was so amazing i mean just so wow. so appealing yeah. and, and the premise was such that people will go with it now you you did do a spin-off there was little monk right um, later later in the run we did i think it was a, a cable only thing we did like 10 episodes randy zist my partner directed all of them they were short little 10 minute well, things uh, i did try to i did pitch and sell a movie after the run, but um, it turned out to be something USA passed on. I think it was expensive. Well, I, I, and I want to touch on the Good Cop because I really liked the Good Cop with Tony Danza and Josh Groban. Yeah, I saw your name. They they sent Netflix <laughs> sent me a list of people that watched it. Well, <laughs> you were on there. You were on page two. <laughs> I, I I did like it, and I liked yeah. the concept. Oh, uh, thanks, man. No, that well, was. That was fun. It was not. It didn't. It wasn't a fit, good fit for Netflix. It turned out. But it was but produced through their studio. It was produced by Netflix for. And Netflix. is it true that yeah. Netflix is completely hands off as opposed to working with it other was, networks? For better or worse, for better or worse, it was pretty much our show. I parted with Randy Zisk again from Monk, and uh, yeah, maybe for worse, it was. Worse. But it turned. <laughs> but it was not a good. I, I'm proud of the show and. I thought we had, you know, I think if we had a second season, we could have it was a great found, found an audience, but, you, you, um, but we didn't find an audience on Netflix. Netflix is, is a lot tougher a, uh, a, an arena than it, than it looks because they have three or four new things every week. And right. You, have, you, and you can get lost on Netflix. Competition's very, and you know very, what's, very scary. A friend of mine is who, uh, 
very successful producer, did Grey's Anatomy, Criminal Minds, all of those shows. Designated Mark Gordon. To, yeah, Mark Gordon. What's interesting is many of his shows that were on network are doing unbelievable. Old, these old shows are doing great on Netflix and these streaming right. services. Yeah. Is I Monk think, on any of these streaming services? Oh, no, yeah. Yes. Monk, oh, yeah. Find, Monk is all over. Monk Hulu? is on. Monk is not on Hulu. Monk is on oh. Hallmark. Monk is on. That's what, I, I thought H. Yes. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. Because I've been well, watching well, Monk, it again. Monk is on Amazon Prime, and it's also now on Peacock, which is NBC's streaming service. But it's also on the Hallmark channel or the Hallmark Mystery Channel or something. Mm. I know when I visited my mother in her nursing home. Oh, no. Uh, it, Monk was on in the uh, common area there. <laughs> Did they do <laughs> that with, just because they know with you're coming? Wrote. Well, no, they didn't. Uh. Monk, Monk, we had the foresight to make it very it was it was uh it was um very family friendly yeah. you know that was almost we kind of went it was almost like alternate programming uh it was there was no cursing there was no uh sexual predators stuff yeah. there were no drug use it was very old school and uh and it became very uh, beca uh Seniors seem to respond. Well, to it. on Hallmark, it's in a cycle with Murder She Wrote, I think yeah. Columbo, yeah, Mystery, yeah. and Monk. Right. You always talk about these shows as if we, oh, you guys won't remember them. I did a Columbo. I was murdered on Columbo. I was on two that's Murder right. She Wrote. That's right. I, well, I remember the Columbo. I, that's yes, right. I was murdered. <laughs> Ken, you might you might be interested in this, Ken. I'll tell you my Gary Kroger story that I okay. tell all the time. Okay. And this might be, I don't know if this is even a moment you remember, Gary, but I was once, you know, in, at SNL, I was in a meeting with Dick Ebersole, who was the boss, right? I was in Dick Ebersole's room, office, the door was closed, okay? So we wouldn't be interrupted, but yeah, it'd have to be pretty important to interrupt, right? Mm -hmm. So Gary Kroger knocks on the door, Gary knocks on the door, sticks his head in and says, hey, can I borrow Andy? I just got to talk to Andy for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> all I could think of is somebody died or something. You know, that's just, it's like he's interrupted. So, so I say, I say, excuse me. I say, yeah. And, and, and Dick Ebersole says, oh, sure, okay. And I and I leave the uh, Dick Ebersole's office. And Gary Kroger does this. He says, and Kroger does this. He says, follow me. And he leads me down. He leads me down a hallway. And he says, no, no follow me here and then I, we turn a corner down another hallway <laughs> he says come in here and we finally find an empty office and i enter the office with him and he and gary closes the door and then he says this he says i think i'm losing my superpowers <laughs> <laughs> true story true story <laughs> that's, that's why i was called i imagine you really must have gary because i haven't I seen did. any I superpowers. you've seen nothing so that <laughs> Nothing. So the question, if, you, if your question is, when did you fall in love with Gary Kroger? What was the moment you fell in love with Gary Kroger? Oh, that's, that, my that, that's for you, Ken. That's my answer. Well, that's another show for the future. I want to talk about Seven Second Delay. All because right. Second Second is, is your you comedy show. And yep. speaking of premises, one of the first things I heard about, about Seven Second Delay, yep. is Radio Chicken. Yeah, Radio Chicken. Well, my co Will you explain Radio Chicken? I'll be glad to. My co-host, Mike Ken... Uh, on on the show, compare is, cans just for a second. Which cans? Uh, you know now? Can. I'd like to Who's get them together. Can? I'd like to get them together and, <laughs> and, and race them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> is what I'd like to do. But um, my Ken is also my Ken is also the station manager of the uh, show. Uh, mine's so he's, not. He's the no. boss there. Uh, no, he's not. And so, so I'm the co-host. It's as if 
Ed McMahon owned NBC. You know, like you're, <laughs> you're the guy, you're, you're, your foil is your offside boss. So, so he's the station manager there. So, the, so I know because he runs the station that every, every radio station's uh, nightmare is silence. Just right. even a few seconds of silence. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, it's, it's their worst thing. So I once challenged Ken, my Ken on the air, to a game of radio chicken <laughs> where, we, where we would both, we, we would, he's very competitive also, we would both see who could go the longest without oh, <laughs> On the radio. <laughs> on an, the radio, radio. an audio yeah. platform. Yeah. And I bet so, people were captivated. I can just see no, everybody probably, it sitting sus- in their it was, car going. It was, it was very suspenseful in <laughs> yeah. a way. How um, long did it last? Yeah, how long? Okay, yeah, well, near a minute. It was very suspenseful. He couldn't stand it for everyone. No, no. Um, but I think we had money on it. You know, so it was really kind of exciting. Right. But we do that every week. We do a little stunt every week. Something. Our, our only mandate on our show is uh, we want to do something every week that has never been tried on the radio is it kind of your gimmick too though that you want to get out of there you want to go home well most of these shows fail miserably yeah and probably what you're feeling now well no but most of our shows we're on live and for most of our shows uh, the big question we ask is why isn't anyone calling? <laughs> you know, <laughs> when, well, is anyone listening? We have um, the same issue. Yeah. Now, All right. So, what are you doing now? Pandemic. I am in a writer's room uh, on a show on Fox. Yeah, just writer number eight. I'm just in the room. Uh, they just want the Breckman present. Well, they want they just this geezer the Breckman the old, brand, the old geezer guy in the corner yeah. that <laughs> just occasionally makes a wisecrack, and then. I'm I'm producing a, a documentary series uh, for Peacock about Saturday Night Live that focuses on the writers, which they've never, you know, no one's ever focused on the writers. And uh, we're doing a, a Gary, you might be interested. Our first episode is uh, about Jim Downey profiling oh. Jim Downey. So uh, that should okay. be that should be fun. And uh, you know, I have this game show I mentioned and other things. So I'm. And then I still have toys that I occasionally come up with. So I'm trying to figure. I don't. I don't. I want to. I want to keep working, but I don't want to work very hard. I don't want to write. I'm trying to, I don't play golf. I'm trying to figure out exactly what I do. You know, there's an old joke that I love. The old guy goes to the doctor. He says, doctor, it hurts when I pee. Mm -hmm. And the doctor says, how old are you? And the guy says, I'm 93. And the doctor says, you've peed enough. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how I feel about writing. You've peed enough. I've peed enough, you know. And uh, I did 40 years in the trenches writing and supporting my family, which is why I wrote, you know, I, I didn't write to express myself. I don't have anything to share with the world, <laughs> but I wrote, I wrote to, I wrote to provide and support my family. I was a professional writer. Well, you- and uh, that's, and so now that I, you know, I, I don't, thanks to Monk. And as you mentioned, it's syndicated around the world. I, I, I don't need to, to work. So I have to figure out, but I'm I'm healthy. I'm only you certainly sound busy. I, yeah. I'm not too busy. I'm, you know this. You know I have an hour and a half for you guys. That says <laughs> a lot right there. I'm, I can't be too busy. Um, so I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out the right balance. I've never re- been retired before. My father died uh, in his fifties, so I never saw anyone retire. I don't know how to. I don't know how to do it. You know, it's an interesting business. There's an article in the LA Times today about Joss, Joss Whedon, the showrunner. Yeah, yeah. 
and all and and there's a lot of di dialogue about a lot of shows can you can have producers or writers or showrunners that are can be very abusive that create environments that are just horrible and i've been on some of those and they are horrible but i've also been on those that are just wonderful those are the ones you miss the ones where it's family and everybody's having a good time and you're laughing you know but you know it's a sh strange business and your your set was abusive right andy uh, well, we were well. We alternated weeks. We okay. Had, we had abusive weeks, and uh, and then we did. Uh, There's so weeks. much stuff now, Andy, that you you couldn't say or do. It's a well, whole new world you know, out there. Let me jog yeah. back because yeah. I've got yeah, no, you here. You're right. I couldn't. I couldn't Andy, survive now. Let's go back to Saturday Night Live, and this will be the last thing before we kiss and say goodbye and all that okay. stuff. But okay. you wrote "White Like Me" with yep. with Eddie Murphy doing a sociological study. And he puts a famous piece where he puts on white face and goes around and finds yeah. out that everything's free and et cetera, et cetera. Do yeah. you think that we could do that now? I don't, I don't know. It was originally written for um, Jesse Jackson, who hosted right. the show. He hosted the show during a presidential campaign, and he, it was submitted to him and his entourage, his advisors huddled with him, and he decided not to do it. And so I had it in my that's drawer, and I, I pulled it out when Eddie Murphy hosted uh, a few months later. Um, do you think we could do that? No, you can't. No, I'm so grateful that I'm not trying to write comedy. Yeah. Now I'd be I'd be uh, stymied. I'd be and yeah. I'd be so mad at the world and uh, people that are so sensitive. Uh, well, we talk about that thing. every week, every, yeah, every no, show so, that that comes up. I'm so you know my son is my son my youngest son Evan is a a writer and he's only 14, but he's very funny and making little movies and wants to write. And, you know, it's, it's uh, probably going to be his career. And I, you know, he's going to have to walk on eggshells. I don't know how to, I don't know how to build a career these days. Um, I, I, well, my sons are young and creative too. And of course, yeah. Kenny's are very doing extremely well, yeah. but they're also learning to their craft while navigating this. In other words, yeah. Their world has always had these restrictions. They well, don't seem as loves, stifled as I my, my son enjoys, you know, putting on uh, blackface and goes around in blackface. And that, I try to tell him, will be a problematic in uh, pitches, you know, if he's going to pitch movies. Unless, uh, he, unless he goes as a trans. Then yeah, I think that's true. Trans, blackface, yeah. yeah. But um, we digress. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> sure. Well, this uh, this has been this has been uh, more fun than anything, and very nice to meet you, Ken and yeah, Gary. Pleasure I'm, to meet you, Andy. I'm so glad we had a chance. I hope. I feel like I kind of wandered off the kind of derailed your show. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> I feel like I did. I feel Wait, bad. Ken, you under need to understand, Andy. This is his character. He always does that. He's, he's incredibly funny. Great story, a raconteur, if you will, and then he starts oh. to feel like. It's a good well, thing I you don't. have a character witness here <laughs> you on your behalf. Witness. Andy, I, okay. I've enjoyed. You, you are my favorite guest. Oh, God bless! Oh, you're it, the sweetest. And uh, well, well, uh, congratulations on your podcast, and I hope, uh, I hope, hey, I'm, so, I hope yeah. I'm one of a thousand. Well, we're gonna, episodes. we're gonna, what? Uh, we're gonna hopefully find all the monk people out there to get them to uh, listen to this. So right. you know uh, oh, that would be oh, that would be great. Well, you can go on. Uh, there must be websites. I think there's a um, what do you call that website? Reddit. There's oh, a Reddit. Okay. Uh, yeah. Community and yeah. I know there's. I know there are other podcasts that are dedicated. I can't believe that. Not like, just out of curiosity that you haven't gone on some of these sites just to say, hey, 
I'm Oh Jesus. Oh no. What would I say? I don't know. I mean I, I will go on I, I am curious. I wish I wish I had the hoods, but maybe you can go do people go on anonymously? Yeah. I guess they come yeah. up with a strange username. Oh yeah. maybe I'll do that. But I am curious about where you know, there's a lot of new fans of the show of Monk, and I, I'm curious about where who's turning them on to the show, mm -hmm. of how, how they're finding Monk. We but were I, talking I'm, to a 20-year-old girl the other day, uh, legally, yesterday. it was all legally on the up and up. <laughs> and, Online, however. And we mentioned that we, yeah. you were on, and she said, I'm a big fan of the show, and she's in her yeah. 20s. I don't know how these four. kids are finding the show. I mean, it's off Streaming. most people's. Yeah, but it's not on everyone's, it's not on radar, like if you see a list of, 10 favorite shows or the but it's 10 one of those things. shows that people say did you see monk monk i don't know about it oh you got to check it out check it out here and then you become addicted i guess i mean it's, I, it's I, I always thought that i always thought that you know i know families watch i know i know older people watch. we used to we used to joke on monk that uh we had um uh we used to say we had nine million uh sets of eyeballs uh watching our show last week, uh, 27 million if you include the cats. Because <laughs> we had older people and, and watching. And discount glaucoma. Yeah, yeah, yeah discount right. glaucoma. Yeah. But um, anyway, this has been uh, one of the great – this has actually been the high point of my week. I'll, I'll tell you that. So, Andy? Yeah, you just need yeah. one high point a week. Yeah, one high point a week. One high point a week. Uh, Ken, call me once in a while. Andy, let's talk more often. I uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now Hopefully one day we'll, we'll, we'll get to meet in person. It, it would be fun. The whole yeah. thing is Do over. Do it in person. I look yeah. forward to it. A great joy. I want to thank everyone for watching the Gary and Kenny Show. Our special guest was Andy Breckman today. You catch us on I, uh, iTunes. Anything. Uh, like iHeart. Oh, no. oh. What do you catch us on? iHeart. iPod. iHeart. Apple, whatever, YouTube, what the fuck? I don't care. You'll um, find us. We're out there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Andy, call me. I will. Call me. I Be will. that one yeah. call in my life. Thanks again, <laughs> Andy. Make something. I will. Bring I'll me a craft you. service table again. Ken, see ya. All right. All right. Okay. Bye -bye. Go to dinner, Andy. Thank you, bye -bye. sir. Yeah, bye-bye. <laughs>